You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Today I welcome you to our The Voice series. I've been anticipating it for a long time. I'm totally stoked about it. I'm excited. And I know God is going to do some great things. I kind of grappled with, Lord, what do I call the title of the message? As I studied and I studied, I had two or three pages of worksheets. And um, <clears throat> I had been working through it, but I had not yet named it. And I just could not get away from the thought, what's your story? So I said, all right, Lord, if that's the deal, that's the deal. So here it is. Titled it, I wrote it in my computer, what's your story? And I just began to develop it along that line and began to plug in a lot of the work that I had already done in the research and so forth and so on. Came to practice yesterday and um, uh, Brother Billy Gillett, he and Jana took um, Devin and Olivia up to Athens, uh, you know, they go to GA, and I uh, was looking at a church and went to Cornerstone Church. He brought me back a bulletin uh, or a program or a pamphlet, if you want to call it that, a pr- uh, of the church. It's beautiful and he thought it, he said, I'm just you know, maybe you can have some ideas and uh, something maybe we can glean, something we can use, which I'm very appreciative of. And um, I got looking at it on the very front page. What's your story? Verbatim. I ran over and grabbed an order of service that we prepare. And I said, Brother Billy, do you realize the significance of this? There's the title of my message right there. What's your story? Amen. And I just know that God oftentimes uses things like that, little signs, little wonders, little incentives, little pats on the back, things like that to say, this is where I want you to be. This is what I want you to say. Don't worry. I, I, kind of like if you're driving up the interstate and you went through Atlanta and a whole bunch of spirals and turns and this and that and the other. All you want to do is see an I-75 sign to make sure you're still on the right road. And the Lord just sort of gives you that reassurance. Today I welcome you to the Voice series and what's your story? That's the very first one we're going to talk about. Today I want to highlight someone who won the Voice, I believe it was last year. Uh, Craig Wayne Boyd is his name. I want to show you a little bit of his backstory for just a moment and then I'll be right back. Give about two or three minutes. The opportunity came around for me to come to the Voice and I said to myself that I would put everything into doing that, cutting my hair, changing some of the clothes, um, just never losing who I am as a person. I've been a full-time musician for a little over 11 years. When reality starts hitting in on you, you're like, okay, what can I do to make my dream still come true? My son is two years old, Jackson Wayne Boyd. For me to be able to take care of my son through music, I've got to go out there and give it 100%. This whole experience has been just absolutely amazing. Right before I was about to walk on stage, it really started getting in my head. I was like, oh crap, I'm just gonna go sing for my life, basically. And boom, Blake's chair turned around. And it just a whole sigh of relief. It was like, all right, I've made it. It was really awesome for Pharrell to be the second chair turner for me. I almost said Pharrell instead of Blake. But Blake is the guy that I know that he's going to help my career the most. I choose Blake. When we came to the battles, I was paired with James David Carter, the other country guy on the show. I thought the performance was amazing, and it was just a matter of apples and oranges at that time. The winner of this battle is James. James, winner of the battle! 
it caught me off guard a little bit. I shook everyone's hand. I went on down to Adam and was walking back by and boom. Blown away. In fact, I turned around to see it. I was like, what's making noise? Because the floor underneath me is lit up and there's something going on. No one saw this steal coming. Right? No one. I know it seems like a weird pairing. I just want to dress you up. <laughs> I want a few different hairdos. Can we do that together? She was the last person that I thought would would pick me. She really believed in me as an artist and she really helped develop my style. That's what she's great at. And I think that's been one of the most valuable things that I've gotten on the show so far. It gives you a little bit of an idea, but let me tell you a little more of his backstory. It was harder to find some of the stuff, so I want to share it with you. If you watch The Voice, you know he, all of them have some sort of a backstory. And I want to say to you that everyone here today also has a backstory. But what they would do is every competitor, uh, you know, they would play a, a little short clip of their life uh, and their history. And it allows us as viewers to kind of get to know the person, to see them, to sort of feel what they're about. And it helps you and I to identify with them as just common people. I'll give you uh, some of the thoughts about Craig Wayne Boyd. When he left Nashville for the tryouts on The Voice, uh, he left Los Angeles. He was homeless. He had already lost his truck, and he was sleeping on his friend's couch. Boyd had thought about giving up his dream of music as a career. He even planned on doing it. In fact, after a very poorly attended show one night, he said to his drummer, um, you know, in the light of my young son, Jackson, and the responsibilities I have to raise him, I can't keep doing this. Uh, I'm going to have to give up my dream of, of making music because I'm not making enough money to feed my son and myself. The very next day, he received an email asking him to try out for NBC's popular uh, singing competition called The Voice. Uh, what do you think... Um, that email was about. Where, where, where do you think that done for him? In fact, he said, well, first, is this real? Or is this part of some cruel joke that somebody's playing on me? He's been in Nashville for 11 years at this time. So what's your story? What's his story? His story is, he. I'll just tell you a little bit. He worked hard and it seemed like he kept coming up empty. Like some of us, probably you work hard and yet it doesn't seem like you're seeing the fruit of your labor. He said, I moved to Nashville with everything I owned in the back of my pickup truck in 2004. I signed with EMI um, and wrote songs for three years. I had a vocal group called Southland that was having a fairly good success, and, but it dissolved, so I had to reinvent myself. I went out as a solo artist in 2010, and I put out a single on country radio that started climbing the charts and then the company that I was working with lost their funding, so it dropped me all the way back to the bottom again. About a year ago, I began trying to figure it all out again. And that's when the voice email came through. But for every Craig Wayne Boyd out there, this is my words to you, for every Craig Wayne Boyd out there, there are a thousand singers and musicians that did not get the email the Voice did not call. Capitol Records didn't come through. And the big star that said they would remember you didn't. Their big chance never came and they feel like quitting. 
And what's worse is nobody cares. Or so it appears. Today I have some good news for you. What you need to know is that everybody, every living soul, has an important story to tell. Everybody's got a story. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got a story. Everybody has an important story. What I want you to understand before, just at the outset of this, is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 27, it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. So, and the base things of the world, uh, the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Everybody's got a story. And we look around and we often think that, well, we're too weak. The Bible says, when I am weak, then He is strong. Amen? Paul said, it's not me in my flesh, but it is Christ that lives in me. He is the hope of glory. We look at ourselves and we say, we don't have the right connections. We don't have the pedigree. We don't have the, the, the lineage, if you will. We don't have the social status. We don't have the name recognition. We don't have the connections that it's going to take to make it. I want to tell you something. All we need is the real connection with Him, and He can fix all this other stuff. God allows whosoever will to come. So everybody has a story. Now let me give you a little bit of uh, some story of a fellow by the name of Gideon. We find him in Judges chapter 6 and 12, and I won't read it all. I just want you to know in Judges 6 and 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he says to Gideon, who, by the way, is hiding, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites because the Midianites was coming down every year. Midian come against Israel and they would take their crops, their, their children, they pillage the place, rape their women. And, and Midian done that to Israel year after year after year. And so it was the time of harvest. Gideon had got some wheat and he's threshing the wheat and he's in a hiding place. Like, uh, you know, under a terebinth tree, he's hiding right here. And an angel Lord shows up and says something to him. He says, the Lord is with you. So what I want to say to you is no matter where you are right now, you might be hiding. The Lord is with you. Huh? The Lord is right where you are. Scared, running, afraid, fail, uh, all these things that you're going through. The Lord said, you are a mighty man of valor. And I thought, man... God is calling the things that be not as though they are. Which is exactly what he said he would do in Romans, I believe. Right? He says to him, uh, you know what valor is? The angel says, the Lord says, he's with you and that you're a mighty man of valor. Valor means bravery. In the face of danger. It means daring. It means fearlessness. It means audacity, boldness, nerve, backbone, guts, grit. So what the Lord says is while you are hiding out in a cave, while you are running from the Midianites, I see you as a strong and bold, courageous warrior. I see your weak self as somebody that is no longer weak, but when I get a hold of you strong, and somebody that will march at my command. So 
it's very important that we see ourselves as God sees us. So he'll do the same thing for you. Your story may not be much different. You might not be in a cave somewhere or under a tyrant tree, but you might be hiding out, scared to submit that application. Hiding out, scared to submit that audition. Hiding out, scared to try that church. Hiding out, scared to go this level. Scared to go to that level. So uh, that's what you need to know. Everybody's got a story. I don't know what your story is. It might be a bad story. It might be a good story, but you've got a story. And I think it's important that, that knowing your story matters. Knowing that you've got a story, whether it's good or bad. Knowing your story, and nobody knows your story better than you know it. Amen? Nobody knows your story like you know it. But knowing that your story matters, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it is, can make a difference. If you know that my story matters, no matter how bad it is. How many of you just, just you had some pretty rough stories? Come on. It's all right. We're not going to look you up on Facebook. Uh, or hook you up on Facebook. No, we don't do that. But some of us got some stories, man, that, you know, we ought not be where we are today. But God. Amen, but God. So if you know that your story matters, I don't care what you've done. You say, well, pastor, I've got, a, a, I've got bad, I mean, it was domestic violence. I, I beat up my wife or I beat up my husband or, or I abused children. I, I, I killed somebody. I, I, I was a thief. I evaded my taxes. I've done this. I've done that. I don't care what your story is. Your story matters. Oh, goodness. How, pastor? I'm glad you asked. It's really important for you to know this because if you don't know that your story matters, you might think that other people have a chance, but you don't even have a shot. And I want to tell you something. God spent most of his time in, in, in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He spent most of his time with people that had bad stories. When he met with the woman at the well, he says, woman, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. He said, that's the truth. Now, at least you'll tell a guy the truth, but you've had five. And the one you're shacking with right now, well, it didn't say shacking in the Bible. It said, but the one you're living with right now is not your husband. I know you've got a story, but I love you in spite of your story. Amen. When he met Zacchaeus, who had been taking money that wasn't his, when he had been scraping off more taxes, he says, I know you've got a story, but I still want you. Amen. That's the way it was when the prostitute from the city of Nain followed him to Simon the Pharisee's house. And she began washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. Simon said, Lord, if you knew who it was who was touching you, you'd tell her to quit. He says, no, I got something to say to you. I came to your house and you didn't wash my feet. I came to your house and you didn't serve me like she has. She's got a story that you don't know about. See, who has been forgiven much, they love much. But those who've been good at two-shoes all their life and think they're pretty good anyway and can make it without God, they don't get it. That's what Simon the Pharisee was. He was, well, praise God, I pay tithe of everything I get and I, you know, I dress properly and I do this and I do that. And he said, yeah, you lost and going to hell. It's important to know that your story matters. I'm going to tell you, the Samaritan woman at the well, her story mattered. The prostitute from the city of Nain, her story mattered. And then it brings me to a fellow by the name of Moses. You probably know him. Moses 
story mattered. Now you know him as the greatest leader of Israel probably in the Old Testament. You know him as the author of the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know him as the great writer of God. You know him as one who stood one day at the Mount of Transfiguration coming to represent all of the law. You know him as the man who held the tablets while the finger of God wrote the Decalogue. That's how you know him. But when he was 40 years old, he killed a man. He saw an Egyptian man picking on a Hebrew, and he looked around, the Bible said. You can look at it in Exodus 2 and 12. When he looked this way and that way, and, and he saw that no one was looking, he killed a man. It's in Exodus 2 and 12. You, you'll find it. And he killed this man. No one's looking. And so what he did, he ran to Midian. That's amazing. He, he ran, and, and he was gone for 40 years. So when he was 40 years old, he killed a man. And then he ran and hid. And then when he's in, the, in Midian, he meets a fellow by the name of Jethro. And uh, uh, he has a daughter by the name of Zipporah. And a uh, black daughter, by the way. Are you all with me? If it matters. Now, he's a Hebrew. But nonetheless, uh, she was an Ethiopian. And uh, anyway, there's Moses. He meets Jethro. And there's Zipporah. And, and they sort of have this relationship. And uh, Jethro says, I'm going to give Zipporah to you as, uh, as a wife. And so they meet together and all that. He's on the backside of of the Mount Horeb, that means the Mount of God, he's watching Jethro's sheep and flock, and all of a sudden, uh, a bush, green bush, begins to burn with fire, but yet it is not consumed. Now he's how old? He was 40 when he killed the Egyptian. He's 80. Some of y'all think it's over. Moses was just going to get started. Hello? He's 80 years old. And he looked and he saw the bush burning and that it was not consumed. He said, I think I'll walk over and see what this phenomenon is. And as he walked that way, the God, the Bible says, God spoke to him out of the bush and said, don't come any closer, but just take your shoes off because the ground you're standing on is holy. The voice of God out of a bush that won't burn. So God is speaking to him. And can I just, just let me run down this road for a moment? And I kind of think that, that God's kind of like, I know your story. Uh, I know it's been 40 years ago, but you killed a man and you ran out of Egypt because they would have killed you. I know all about that. But, but I also now see your heart. I know Jochebed, that's your mama. I know Amram, your daddy. I know how you were raised in Pharaoh's house and refused to be called the prince of Egypt, refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, chose rather to suffer with the Hebrews. I know where your heart is. And I want to use your story, Moses. I want you to go to Pharaoh. Oh, oh I don't know. If I can go to Pharaoh. And maybe he was scared because what if they remember? What if they remember me killing this fella? You know, and all of that. But listen, I, here's what I want to tell you before I get too crazy with this. Moses had a bad story. There was no way Moses was going to be a hero in my book if I was writing the book. Because, I mean, Lord, he's done killed somebody. Y'all with me? And... Um, no way he's going to be the greatest leader of the Old Testament. No way he's going to write the Torah. No way he's going to write it if it's my book. 
but it ain't my book. And God chose failures. And God chose people with bad stories. And God chose people that was messed up and jacked up and with no hope. And he even had a speech impediment. And he talked, maybe it was a list. Maybe he stuttered. But, but he could not speak clearly. Some of us will say, man, Moses can't do it. Man, he can't even talk plain. Moses told God that. And God said, you know what? I know you can't talk plain. But your brother can and your brother can understand you, so you tell your brother what I said and have him tell Pharaoh. What I'm saying is God erases your excuses. It doesn't matter. Well, I, I can't preach, God. I didn't get my education. I didn't do this. I didn't. God says, shut up. I don't want to hear none of that. I know your story, but I use weak things. I use trouble things. I use broken things. I use things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Oh, my goodness. He became all of these things. Uh, and God said, I can use your story. It just goes to show you it's not how you start. It's how you finish up. Let me give you another example. I, I think about David. You remember David? David had it going on. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. One day Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, the priest, prophet, and judge, got a hen of oil together, and he came to Jesse the Bethlehemite's house to anoint the successor of King Saul, because King Saul had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God says, I am done with Saul. It is time to anoint a new king. And he went there, and David brought out all of his old, you know, Eliashib and Amenadab uh, uh, and all the other. He had all these sons. Samuel said, that's not them. That's not the one. He said, but is there somebody else? And while he was looking at all these boys that should have been, you know, the stocky one, the pretty one, the buffed up one, the popular social one, all of that, God says to Samuel the prophet, he said, do not look on the outward appearance. Because God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Amen. In other words, I don't care how you look, how you act. How, God knows the story. He said, but God looks on the heart. And he said, is this all you boys? He said, no, I got one more. He's, he's a shepherd boy, youngest boy. He's down in the field. They said, go get him. And while they go get him, uh, Samuel went ahead and said, all the rest of you boys stand back up until he gets here. This is the anointed of the Lord. Oh, oh, that ain't the way we would have saw it. That's exactly right. God's ways, Isaiah said, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are past finding out. Stand on your feet, he says. And so they went and stood up, and he sent somebody to go get him. And as soon as he came through the threshold of the door, Samuel dumped a hen of oil on him. And the Bible said the Spirit of God left Saul and rested upon David. Are y'all hearing me? Some of y'all said, well, that must have been real nice. The prophet came and anointed him. He was priest, prophet, and judge. It must have happened overnight like that. Let me tell you, it was five more years before he was coronated king at Hebron. Are you hearing me? But God said, today he's king. Amen. He ain't recognized yet by, 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 by the government and all that. He said, but in my eyes, God says he's king right now. Oh, that's good. And David had a good story. I mean, yeah, David had a good story at this point. Now, here's what you got to understand. 
He's a man after God's own heart. But you know, when David become when he come to the throne, he was doing so good. He prospered, and man, everything he touched turned to gold. And but one day Israel was at war, and um, David stayed home, and he, his relationship with the Lord had been slipping. And while he's home that day, um, he goes up on his rooftop. And, and just humor me, I don't know if he had a glass of iced tea or what, but he's up there on the rooftop, and he looked over to the house that was a, a house beside him, and there was Bathsheba taking a bath. And uh, I imagine David put down his tea and looked back over there. And you know, they say it's not a sin to look, but just don't look back. Well, anyway... <laughs> David just kept on looking. And it wasn't long. David looked so long, he said, my, my, my. And I imagine he got him another swallow of iced tea. I don't know. But he got him out a piece of paper and he started writing. And he wrote this letter and he sealed it up. And he called his courier and said, please carry this over to uh, Bathsheba's house. And took it over there and she opened the letter up and read it. Basically, won't you come have some tea? So, you know, she, she comes over and they have some tea. And uh, things begin to happen. And I don't know what was in the tea. And I don't know any of how all that went. But I know that she wrote him a letter. And it said, um, Your Majesty, I am with child. I'm with child. And so David wrote a letter. Because her husband... Are y'all with me? Her husband Uriah was at war with the country where David was supposed to be. And see, when we start letting our spiritual life slip, we will be in places we should not be and see things that we should not see and start doing things that we should not do. And so David wrote a letter and says to Joab, the commander of the army, says, uh, give Uriah leave. I got to get him home. You know why I got to get him home, man? Because, man, it's got to be his baby. So he got him home, and I gotta hurry up with the story. I know time to get it. So he comes home, and, and and Uriah says, "My Lord, why have you brought me home?" David, I want you to hear the lies. Man, you have done such good. You, you've been so valued on the battlefield. I, I just want you to come home and enjoy the dainties and the cooking of your wife. Enjoy the time with your wife. Here's the slap in the face. Here's what Uriah did. He curled up and slept beside the king's gate. He wouldn't even go home. Wouldn't even go home and be with his wife. The next morning, a guy come down and saw him, went back and told David, said, Your Majesty, Uriah didn't go home. He, he, he stayed at the gate. So he comes up and he says, What is this? He says, my, Uriah says, My Lord, how can I go and enjoy the company of my wife and eat dainties and delicate foods and while my country and my king are at war. Ooh, don't you see how the dagger is cutting David's heart? So he got out his paper and he wrote another letter. And he says, Joab, put Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And when the enemy comes forward, sound the retreat and pull Israel's troops back. And let him die alone. He sealed that letter up and says, Uriah, you've done such a great job. Put this letter that's sealed in your satchel. Be sure that Joab gets it now. 
It's important. And like a great soldier, Uriah says, yes, sir. He thinks he's doing a great deal, and he carries his own death warrant back to the battlefield. They get into a hot battle. Uriah is placed in the very front. When the enemy comes forging in, Joab sounds the retreat, and all of Israel pulls out, and there he dies alone on a battlefield. And David was the one that done it. He's the one that ordered it. So now, he had such a good story when he started. He was a man after God's own heart, but here he is now. He has, con- he has first of all, slept with Uriah's wife, got her pregnant, then uh, cons- conspired to bring him home to blame it on him and say, it's really your baby. And when that didn't work out, he conspired further to have him killed. David wrote, can we have Psalm 51 uh, here's what I want to show you. <clears throat> and I know I, I, I'm going a little further here, but you've got to get this. David was still a man after God's own heart. What a terrible, terrible tragedy that happened to him. Such a man. But yet he failed miserably. But even God took this horrible midlife story and used David to write this. David... Uh, when Nathan the prophet was sent him, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, David, you are the man. And he told him bluntly exactly what he'd done. I don't have time to get into it. But he says this, Oh God, according to your... Uh, let me back up. The prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, this is David talking to God, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you make me to know wisdom. Purge me with Hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. The bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and uh, uh, blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Watch. And then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. What he's saying is this. God, please use my bad story. I messed up. I blew it. It was horrible. But God, would you please use this bad story? You see, I'm asking you today to submit your paperwork to the Lord. Try, try out for your audition. Craig Wayne Boyd had to say, okay, voice, here it is. I know I've been turned away. I've been rejected. I'm destitute. I'm poor. I've lost my truck. I've lost my house. But I'm going to try this again. You've got to submit it. At some point, you've got to quit whining about how bad yesterday was. At some point, you've got to pull yourself together and quit saying, poor old pitiful me. At some point, you've got to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? At some point, you've got to say, I've got to go forward again. So, listen.
When you decide to do that, I want to tell you something. Number one, it's going to take training and preparation. It's going to take hard work and, and nerves of steel. It's going to take studying and becoming knowledgeable about your field of expertise. Whatever that is, I don't know. But it's going to take a willingness on your part to say, I will try again. You see, Moses said, here I am, Lord. And he told him, I'm going to use you. Moses was 80 years old. Here's the deal. If you don't submit it to the Lord, if you decide not to audition, so to speak. Now, now I'm using the analogy of the voice. You understand the program. Everybody had to submit a written application. Everybody had to submit personal interviews and all that stuff. Everybody had to do all, it, it, you might be the most talented person in the world, but unless you submit your story, nobody's going to know it. You might be the best mechanic in the world, but unless you show off your work, nobody's going to know it. You could be the best painter, nobody's going to know it. You could be the best psalmist. You could be the best writer, the best storyteller, the best person in drama or mime or whatever it is, and nobody cares. One of the greatest managers. You could be a, a leader of people. You could be a technical genius, and nobody knows unless you show it. Here's why you need to audition. Here's why you need to submit your, your paperwork to God and say, okay, Lord, you know, you, I, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it. Whatever it is. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's whatever your talent is. Maybe you're gifting. If you don't take the audition, you're going to regret it forever. There's the risk that you run. That there's the problem. You see, you know what I said to the church the Sunday before we left the old church? Scared out of my mind, knowing what this was going to entail, knowing what was at risk. The message I preached, I said this. At that time, I was 47 years old. I said, the thing that scares me most is to look back in 20 years when I'm approaching retirement and say, if I had only done it. If I had only put, put everything in it. If I had just went for it. The hardest thing is to look back with regret. You see... To live with a thought, if I had only tried, if I had only done it one more time, if I had just given it another effort, if I had only swallowed my pride, if I had only built that relationship, if I had only cultivated it, if I had only submitted myself to the will of God, to see the hand of God at work in your life, to experience the intimacy and the trust of His Spirit, to obtain the victory and hear His voice. Say, well done. Wow. I want to close with this. Craig Wayne Boyd submitted the application. He began to move through the ranks of uh, The Voice. Nearly eliminated twice. Well, actually eliminated twice, but then saved um, by steel and, and, and all of that stuff. About three weeks before the culmination of the show, he pulled one of the gutsiest moves I've ever seen. And that's how I want to close right now, and then we're going to pray. Raised in a Pentecostal home, Craig Wayne Boyd could not forget his roots. And here's what I want to say to you. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story, and I don't care what it is. God can use everybody. God wants to use everybody's story.
I don't care how bad it is. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.